0: My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the staff pastors here. And just before I get started, I just want to say how awesome it is to be a part of this family. You have welcomed us. You have loved us. Um, you have embraced us. And we feel very much at home, and we feel very humbled to be able to serve on this wonderful team at Heart of the City in this awesome community, doing what God wants us to do to see mighty things take place so that we can see this city reach for Jesus. Amen? Awesome. So these last few weeks, we've been talking about some values that are really important to us. We talked, first of all and primarily, about knowing God and how important it is to know God. And primarily, we experience that through our weekend gatherings where we share the gospel of Jesus at every gathering because we believe it's important for every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl, to have an intimate, personal relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's a priority to us. Secondly, we talked about how to find freedom. It's important that we get free in our relationships and our lives. And we believe primarily you can do that through our city groups. We have over 50 city groups for you to choose from. And we encourage everyone who has a seat in a chair here on the weekend, that you'd also find a seat on a couch or in a chair in a a coffee shop during the week and find your people in our family where you can open up and be real and relate to and grow and, and have a community of people. We don't really have that same kind of community in a Sunday morning with all of us, but in a city group, we have that opportunity. Thirdly, we talk about discovering purpose. And primarily, we believe that we help you do that through our growth track, which happens the first four full Sundays every week, every month at the 909 service, in which you hear about our values and and what we believe and what we stand for. And we help you discover what your purpose is and and your gifts and your talents. And then we we move you to a place in number four of making a difference to helping you serve on a team and being part of a team. And so that really is our heart to help you get to that place. In pursuing your path of purpose, if you will embrace the fullness of the process in your life, you will be one who makes a difference. Now I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to warn you, don't shortcut the process. Everybody wants a shortcut. We all want the microwave version, don't we? I want to tell you that it's line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's over the mountains, and it's through the valleys. Oh, yes, there's some victories, and there's some failures. And in the midst of all that, I will tell you that life happens. Last week, we heard about David. In the book of Acts, it says that David served the purposes of God in his generation, and then he fell asleep. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony of us, that we would serve God's purpose in this generation, and then we'd fall asleep? How did he serve? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, he was fat. He was faithful. He was available. He was teachable. He was fat during serving. He was a shepherd's boy when he killed the lion and when he he killed the bear, when he killed Goliath. He was just serving, and God used him. Well, he also made some pretty big blunders. I'm not talking white lies, Vern. I'm talking adultery. I'm talking murder. And then he had a prophet named Nathan who told a story, a nice little story, and then all of a sudden, David gets all upset, and then Nathan goes, thou art the man, Oh, and he was stricken. Finally, in Psalm 51, comes to the great repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit unto me. And his great confession. And after his entire life, after all that happened in life happens with David, it was said in Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. Wow. You know what that says to me? It says there's hope for me. The primary way we believe we can make a difference at Heart of the City is to find a place to serve. It's very easy to do this. You can go on our website, theheartcda.com. And once you get onto our website, you can go and press on connect. And after you press on connect, you'll see a tab for teams, and you can press teams. And it'll take you to a page that has all of our teams. we got his kids. we got Father's Market. we got the Fit Team. We've got Hospitality Team. Now, some of us, sometimes when we start to serve, we have this little attitude. Bless God, I'm going to go and serve in his kids. I'm going to teach those kids the Word of God. And what happens is the kids end up ministering to you. Yeah. When a little kid comes to you and says, can I lay my hands on you and pray for you? It just melts your heart. When you're serving a father's market on Thursday afternoon and serving dinner to those that come that are in need, you find that some, wow, these people, they minister to you. And so there's a growth thing that happens when you get activated in serving and you just get out of yourself. You get out of the whole thing of me, myself, and I, and you do something for somebody else. And you just have a selfless attitude. It's not all about me and my bag of chips. Just leave your chips at home and let Jesus do something, and you'll find that you will grow. So today, regardless of who you are or what's happened in your life, God wants to make a difference in you and through you. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 I'm reading. I'm reading from the New King James version. That's the version that I like. I also like to use an actual Bible. I'm old school folks. I bring my Bible to church. Cuz the way I was raised, bless God, you bring the B I B L E. Yes that. Yes, you bring it to church. Well, I know you have y'all have the electronic versions and that's wonderful too. But here we are verse 1. The lo- the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to what he made. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, O Stephen Noel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the the clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Stephen Noel. Wouldn't you just love it if you would be that pliable in the hands of our maker? In which you say, you're the potter, I'm the clay, mold me, shape me the way that you want. Allow me to be moldable and pliable in your hands to to the things that you want to do in my life, the changes that you want to make, the corrections that you want to make. Oh Lord, help me to be obedient and pliable. Chapter 19, verse 1, thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. And go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I will tell you. Throughout the Bible, the idea of a vessel is used to speak of our life. This is like a vessel. And so the, the illustration is that this vessel is like a representation of us, of our individual life. And lots of times in the scripture it talks about a vessel. And it likens us to us as human beings. And who we are. First Thessalonians says. That each of you should know how to possess. His own vessel. And sanctification and honor. So we ought, to, we ought to know. How to. How to. Take care of our own vessel, of our own lives, the decisions that we make and who we are. There's a responsibility for us to care for this vessel. Second Timothy chapter 2, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. So by our own choices that we make every day in our life, we will either be a vessel of honor that brings glory to the Lord or a vessel of dishonor that lives our lives in opposition to God. God is the one who fashioned us. It says that God took the dust and the clay of the earth and therefore he made man. And this was made from the dust of the earth and this vessel was made. And so he is shaping and molding us in our lives throughout our life and all the things that happen in our life. We also understand that we are a treasure to God. Now, this is where it gets interesting because it's a paradox here. How weak human beings like me, like you, can be used of God to be used for his service for the power of God. We are like conduits of his grace, conduits of his power. As we submit to him, there's something that happens in that submission where he, when he imparts that power of him to us, through us, to touch the lives of people for eternity. The idea is profound. It means that we have value. No matter what the opinion of people around you, about you is... You have value to God. Do you know that you are more important to God than any other thing? Now, lots of people have opinions, don't they? And sometimes we get all caught up in other people's opinions of us, and we allow that to rule us. I'm telling you to stop doing that. Because it's what God says that matters. Well, there's a problem that develops on our journey called life. Life has a way of devaluing us, doesn't it? And there's things in our culture that just seem to tip, a, tip away at our vessel. Things like the badge of Christianity. For example, when young men and young women and young adults choose before they get married to be abstinent, the world says, uh uh uh-uh-uh-uh. I mean, you're just, oh, that's archaic. That's old. Tip, tip, tip. Didn't you know you have to try before you buy? Don't you understand? That's how it works nowadays? I mean, how are you going to know? Well, you know how I'm going to know? Because I know the designer. And the designer created male and female. And he's figured that out. And so you know what? I'm going to believe this part that tells me how it works. But you see... The world says something different. There's something about our culture that's a little bit different now. You see, at the workplace, it's a little gutsy to declare that you're a Christian. Because when you say that, you know what? Christians are referred to as extreme right wing. 20 years ago, things were black and white. In fact, my dad and my, my spiritual dad, well, my spiritual dad's not gone yet, but my dad's gone, he'd roll over in his grave if he knew the things that had changed in the last 20 years. Things that were buried black and white are no longer black and white, they're gray or they're actually inverted. Things that were wrong are now right according to the world. Tip, tip, tip. Or how about at work? And you're trying to work through stuff. And and there's a problem with different things that happen at work. and, And you've got a culture that thinks absolutely different. Did you know that truth used to be truth? And here it is now. Oh, well, that's not my truth. My truth is not your truth. Last time I checked, truth is truth. I feel that we have so much compromise going on. It's like water and you got a frog in there and you just keep turning the heat up. And pretty soon you got boiled frog. It just happened a little bit at a time. And before you know it, we're boiled frogs because we've compromised to the nth degree. And all that just beats against our value. It beats against our significance. It beats against our self-image. Well, then there's the... Then there's the problem of people disappointing us. It's a little bit of a different story this time. Stress in the family. Anybody ever had any stress in the family? Thanksgiving, Christmas, uncle so-and-so, aunt, aunt so-and-so. Oh, we got to put up with those people again. Well, there's things that happen in the family. It's just a little different. And then there's a divorce. And it's just devastating. No one gets married to get divorced. There's stress at work. A dishonest employee betrayal a boss that's overbearing or maybe you've you've lost your job maybe you got laid off or maybe you even got fired how do you deal with that it's like these things happen to you maybe a financial hey i got more month at the end of my money i don't know what i'm going to do sometimes we have to declare bankruptcy bankruptcy we're at the end of our rope our finances are horrible. We don't know how to get out of the hole and out of the pit. Then we go visit the doctor. The doctor gives us a fatal diagnosis. And you end up just being like this. Things that you have no control over all of a sudden have control over you. They consume your thoughts. They consume your, your, your nights. You wake up in the middle of the night because this is all happening to you. And you wonder, how am I ever going to get out of it? It produces weariness and hopelessness in you. Can I tell you something? This is where Jesus does his best work. When you're at the end of yourself. And he, I can do, can you, finally. (laughs) Finally, Logan. Finally, Logan got to that place. Now I can do something with you. I've seen you move, you move a mountain, and I believe I'll see you do it again. What's the other? There is no way. (laughs) You make a way when there was no way. Yes. When there's no way, you make a way. I'll see you do it again. I'll see you do it again. Oh, that's a theme song. Tomorrow morning when you're getting ready for work, I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way. Strut down the street, walk into the office. i see you. They'll say, what are you on? You say, I'm on Jesus. Okay. Sorry. Got a little carried away. Here's the deal. Life is not fair. Well, I, if I got a, a nickel for every time we told our kids that. Oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. He got more than I did. It wasn't fair. He's on my side of the car. Of the car. It's not fair. I was like, get over yourself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And sometimes God's plan and his purpose gets messed up. Oh, well, we had a plan. But somewhere along The way it didn't work out, and we see ourselves as washed up and done. Years ago, 2009, we were pastoring in Laramie, Wyoming. It was a Saturday morning, and I was studying for Sunday, and someone came to the church door, and they were knocking on the door, and I answered it. And it was a man, and he was at the end of his rope. He said, My marriage is done, my kids are wayward. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs financially. I lost my job. And I'm in trouble with the IRS for thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just don't know what to do. And I was driving by this church. And I just thought that maybe somebody here might be able to help me. Because I don't know where else to turn. That's the best place to turn to is to turn to the Lord. That man now is living the purposes of God. And God has restored most everything in his life. And he's walking according to his way. And he's blessed. And he's walking step by step with the Lord. Because this is a God that transforms lives and people. In Jesus' name. So my friend, the hurtful place that you find yourself in can be the place where God does his greatest work and wants to do something special in you. I was intrigued by the 19th chapter of Jeremiah. The Lord sends him to the valley of the son of Hinnom. It's by the potsherd gate. It's one of the gates that surrounded Jerusalem. And this is a place where potters threw away their discards. When something didn't work or didn't come together on the potter's wheel, they would take it out to the potsherd and they would throw it into this field. And so this field is strewn with all kinds of pottery that's busted up and broken. Fragments, broken pieces. Things that were marred and deformed. Job chapter 2 says, And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. And it's like Job is saying, what they would do is they would take in broken pieces of pottery and they would scrape the boils off their face or off their bodies. They also said that they would also take other larger pieces of pottery and they would use them to carry things into the temple. But here's the deal. This was not God's intention for this vessel to be used in such a limited way. And some of us live our lives like discarded pieces of pottery, feeling that we're all washed up and we have nothing else to offer anymore because of things that have happened in our life. And I want to tell you, that's not God's intended purpose for you some of us say well you know i've had so many things happen to me and by the way pastor i have a real story come on we all have a story we all have a story of things that have happened picture with me today outside the gate it's the dumping ground a place of burning there's all kinds of rubble and refuse Psalm 31 kind of talks about how you feel when you're in this place. It says, For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I'm forgotten like a dead man out of mind, and I'm like a broken vessel. Am I describing you today? You say, "That's me. I'm here, and I really have no hope." "Oh, it might not look like that on the outside. I might look like I've got myself all together, but on the inside, that's me. I really feel like I have no hope. Well, I'd like to give you a message of hope this morning. Over 36 years ago, that was my story. It's kind of risky even to share my story with you because we all have paradigms and we all have boxes of, of how we perceive people. Do you understand when I say that? You look at someone and then you hear their story and then all of a sudden you put them in a little box. Mm-mm. It's a little risky. My life didn't work out the way I planned. Oh, I had a plan. And I'm an ABC, one, two, three, little A, little B, little C, little one, little two, little three kind of guy. <laughs> My dad was a pastor in Kinburn, Ontario, just in the shadow of Ottawa on the East Coast. Not the East Coast, but in the eastern part of Canada. And he pastored a church, and behind our church was a pig farm. And as a little seven year old boy, I used to go and preach to the pigs every week. My sister played the organ. We had a little apple box, and she played the organ, and I preached. And one Sunday, the Spirit of God was moving so much as I was preaching that I had to interrupt my sermon and go into my bedroom and get my stuffed huckleberry hound and bring him back to the altar. And God told me to sacrifice my huckleberry hound to the Lord, and I threw him over the fence to the pigs. You wouldn't believe how many pigs came to Jesus that Sunday. (laughs) Oh, I understood the ministry, but somewhere along the journey, life happened, and I was absolutely derailed. Wrong turns, disappointments, irreversible decisions, and consequences, things that I valued for and stood for absolutely crumbled at my feet. At the age of 18, I married my high school sweetheart. And that marriage ended eight years later. In the circles I was raised, that was the unpardonable sin. I was full of shame and guilt. My life was over. I was abandoned. I was by myself. It was definitely the darkest moment in my life. I wished actually that somebody would come and beat me up physically so I could go to the hospital and so I could heal. But there was an emotional ache inside of me that just wouldn't let me go, that woke me in the middle of the night and it just haunted me over and over again because now I was the statistic that I used to preach against. Wow. Ministry was over for me. My vocation, my dreams, my aspirations gone. Poof. It was at the altar of a church in 1986. It was a Sunday night, and Pastor Bob came, and he laid hands on me, and he said, Stephen, what are you doing with your life? He knew me really, really well, and I says, what do you mean, Bob? He says, there's a call on your life, and it's without repentance, and you need to get right with God. You need to be submitted to a church. You need to, be, you need to find a place where you can serve And let God do what he wants to do in your life. Tears streaming down my face, I decided, you know what? I'm going to listen to God now. And in the midst of my broken moment, in the midst of my discarded moment, when I felt all hell had broken loose in my life, there I was. And I said, God, I've had enough and I just want you. Whether I ever get back in ministry again, I'm just choosing you. As a 10-year-old boy, I knew what the call of God was because I felt that call in my life as a 10-year-old boy. We were living in Montreal, Quebec. Our pastor was a a man that I I loved. I looked up to him. And and he was a man that uh, when he would preach, he would perspire so much that water would drip off his chin and he'd have to change his clothes after the service before he went out. And I just emulated this pastor. I loved him. And so what I would do when nobody was home at my house is I would put on a phonograph uh, Bill Gaither, you guys know who Bill Gaither is? And, and I would play these big, these big records Well, they're coming back now, you know what I mean? And I would play a Bill Gaither song, and I would get a glass of water, and I'd splash it on my face so that the water fell off my chin, and I would preach like Pastor Bob. <laughs> and then when I was 16 years of age in Calgary, Alberta, in the midst of a seven-week revival in which I missed two services in seven weeks... God confirmed his call in my life. So I knew what a call of God was. And and I had that call, but now it was absolutely shattered. It was gone because I was now a discarded, broken piece in Potter's Field. You say, is there any hope for you today? Absolutely, 100% yes, and I am a living testimony to that. I never thought I'd be doing what I was doing now. I never thought I'd live in the States. I thought people in the States were weird. And now I am one of you. That's a scary thought. I want to tell you that God wants you to find a place to serve Amen. and be on the team. Be on his team and then be on a team. We have a, we have a gal in our church. Her name is Jo. She comes on Saturday nights. She goes to UGM. And, and one Saturday I asked her, hey, would you just like to help serve, on, a, a, be an usher? She was so tickled and and unbelievable don't forget I want to do my little thing and every Saturday she comes now and she says can I serve can I serve can I send she's growing she's being transformed every week in fact if she doesn't get to serve she's kind of upset I want to look at a man by the name of Nehemiah he's a picture of the Holy Spirit Picture of how the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Picture of the Holy Spirit, of how he restores. Of how he takes those things that are broken and discarded and hopeless and aimless and purposeless and he gives us purpose. The Holy Spirit has come to seek for your well-being. He's out by night and no one can see him. And he's looking at all the broken down walls and, and all the fires and, and all the waste and, and all the carnage that's there. And he comes back and he says, Let us rebuild the wall and not be a reproach any longer. And I tell you the same thing today. The Lord, Holy Spirit speaking to you, let me come and rebuild your life where you lie in brokenness and discard in Potter's field because he's got something for you. He's got something in mind for you. If there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, they were my dreams at the start. And the hopes for life's best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes my castles all crumbled, my fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped it all in the rags of my life, and I laid it at that cross. Something beautiful, something He understood all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. He'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. Four things in closing. Believe in the one who believes in you. Say that with me. Believe in the one who believes in you. Where is it that your capacity to believe has gone, has died? Friends, he's the God of miracles. Don't forget that. There's people here sitting in this room right now, and the scripture says, such were some of you, but now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been renewed, you've been transformed, and the old life is gone. Scripture says he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up the wounds. Lamentations chapter 3, this is, my, this is my, one of my life verses. Chapter 3, a little tiny book in the Old Testament. It says, oh, this was my broken moments. February the 2nd, 1986. It's written in my Bible. He has also broken my teeth with gravel. He covered me with ashes. You've moved my soul from peace. I've forgotten prosperity and I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my roaming. The wormwood and the gall. Oh, my soul still remembers and it sinks within me. Oh, but it doesn't end there. It says, but therefore I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness and the Lord is my portion. Oh, wow. Number two, don't believe in the lie of pity. Pity will keep you where you are. You keep rehearsing the story over, oh, woe is me. Oh, what happened to me? Oh, you won't believe what happened. Look what they did to me. Nah, 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 nah. I used to say, take that cassette tape. Well, I don't know what you take now. What do you take? You're not even a CD anymore. (laughs) Burn it. Fry it. Steam it. Get rid of it. Stop playing the tape. Pity will just keep you being sorry for yourself. It'll make you live your life as a discard and you won't ever forget it. The devil says you're a loser. But I'm here to tell you that your future is as bright as the promises of God. Step into it, friend. Get over your pity party. Build a bridge and get over it. Suck it up, buttercup. It's time for you to move on. Sometimes we have a reason that turns into an excuse. Oh, I just don't go to church anymore because I got hurt. Well, la-dee-da. Join the club. And you know what? That reason becomes an excuse because you're unwilling to get over it and move on. It's time for you to stop doing that. Number three, develop a fighting spirit. You want some of this? Come on. Come on. Step up. Usually I tell people to go wait outside. I'll be there in a minute. It's not a walk in the park that means war. When you decide that you're going to walk according to God's purposes, it means war. It's about kingdoms and paradigms and the world being obliterated. It's about the kingdom of God reigning in your life. It's about time you get up and get some backbone. Last thing is now you are ready for number four to contend for breakthrough. Get a vision of what God can do. Get a vision of what God can do. Romans chapter 9 For this very purpose, I raised you up, that I may show my power in you. (laughs) And my name will be declared in all the earth. That's why he raises you up, to show his power. And people look at you and say, "Ah! How did that happen? Seth, how did that happen? I knew you when, and now you're whole, oh, Jiminy Crickets. That must be God. It must be God. 2 Corinthians, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Ephesians, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all we ask or think. Jude, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless with exceeding joy. (laughs) For he alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. He's able to do it. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. When there was no way, you made a way. See, when I try to put this back together, I can't seem to do it. But this is where the illustration gets out of hand. Because look what Jesus can do. But you see, I was like this. How did you do this? It must be God. Some of the most challenging people in the Bible have made the biggest difference. And why? Because their story didn't end with their mistake. It finishes with their comeback. Yes. <laughs> oh, how many of you are ready for a comeback? Come on, come on. Come on. Be the comeback kid. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. The greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life is what will you do with Jesus Christ? It's more important than the, the, the spouse that you will marry. It's more important than the career that you'll have. It's more important than, the, than where you're going to live. It's going to be more important than how much money you have in the bank. It's going to be more important than how many toys you have in your your garage or in your house. It's what will you do with Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That when they make that decision to put their faith in the Lord Jesus, they pass from death unto life. Do you realize that eternal life doesn't begin when you die? It begins when you make this decision. You have eternal life immediately, right now. And I believe that when we come to the end of our lives, Scripture says that blessed are those who die in the Lord. Because as soon as we close our eyes on on earth, we awaken in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so this is the most important decision. Maybe you're here this morning. You're at the end of your rope. And you're looking for help, you're looking for an answer. I'm telling you that there's a god-sized vacuum inside your inside your body that's made for God to fill and nothing else. All the other stuff in the world won't fill it. It'll leave you empty and thirsty. But Jesus is the one that fills that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself by faith I gratefully receive your gift of salvation I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day Thank you for bearing my sins and providing the gift of salvation for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Amen.